Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 216. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan. Today, I am bringing you an interview that I hope you will find very interesting. I certainly did. It kind of brings together a lot of the different pieces that we've been talking about on Therapy Chat. My guest is Thad Fry. Thad is an LCSW and certified brain spotting practitioner. He's a clinician and clinical supervisor practicing in Louisville and Broomfield, Colorado. Thad specializes in supporting courageous adults coping with the loss of a loved one, recent life transitions, or past traumatic events to make a better life now. Thad is a proud board member of the Rocky Mountain Brain Spotting Institute, the very first brain spotting institute created in the country by lead trainer Dr. Pi Fry that raises awareness of the powerful healing power of brain spotting and raises funds for a scholarship to provide support to clients of limited financial means. Thad enjoys giving talks on the use of brain spotting to support individuals' work with grief and loss, as well as performance enhancement for athletes, musicians, and public speakers. I think you're going to love this conversation as we talked about how Thad uses brain spotting in his work. I found it very, very interesting and really enjoyed it. In fact, I'm hoping to have him come back again sometime in the future. So let's just dive right into my conversation with Thad Fry. Therapy Chat Podcast wouldn't exist without the support of its listeners. If you'd like to become a member, please go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. By making a $1 per month donation, 
you can help Therapy Chat keep going over the long haul. Thank you for your support. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and I am so curious about the conversation I'm getting ready to have with my guest, Thad Fry, LCSW. That's thanks so much for being my guest today on Therapy Chat. Laura, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here. And really curious to talk to you about your work using brain spotting and how that ties in with doing grief and loss work. I've been talking with a lot of people about grief and loss lately because of things that are going on in my personal life. I guess it just is coming up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's just, before we even talk about brain spotting, let's just give you a chance to introduce yourself to our audience and tell them a little about who you are and what you do. Great. Well, thank you very much. Um, And I want to start by saying uh, that I am a big fan of yours. I listen to therapy chat uh, quite often and I utilize it uh, when I go on runs or go on walks and and share it with people. So again, I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased to be on this with you. So thank you for having me. Thanks. Yeah. So yeah, my name is uh, Thad Fry. I'm an LCSW. I'm out. Uh, I live in Boulder, Colorado, and have a uh, my practice is in both Louisville and Broomfield, Colorado. I've really dedicated the great majority of my career to working with people after their loved ones have passed away on hospice. So I, I went to the University of Texas at Austin uh, for graduate school and worked for a year out there in a uh, hospice working with folks uh, with HIV and fell in love with it and then uh, moved back actually because of uh, my parents both passed within a very short amount of time. Uh, and that's what actually brought me back to Colorado where I'm from. And so I took a little while to heal from that. Uh, I took a little time to lick my wounds, realize that I needed support um, because I thought, well, my gosh, I'm an empathetic person and I have the school learning now. So I can, I'm sure just take care of myself. But I learned pretty quickly that going to see somebody for grief counseling was needed and worked out perfectly. Found a gentleman with uh, who was also an LCSW, made that connection, and it really, really helped me. And then uh, I jumped right back into hospice and worked. I've worked for two different hospices over 16 years locally. And for the great majority of that time, I've worked after your loved ones have passed away, being a grief counselor, working with individuals, couples, families doing group group work like i said it's it's definitely been my passion and so did that uh, like i said for a long time and then i've had a, a smaller private practice for about 5 years and uh, then i took the leap and i'm in uh, full time uh, practice and one of the biggest parts that enabled me is just an individual to feel confident enough in in, in making that leap was actually u- utilizing brain spotting because it helped me help so many people in different directions. Yes, grief and loss, and that's where my heart is, but also with self-esteem, anxiety, depression, uh, even sports performance and some really cool stuff like that. So, so yeah, that's me. Yeah. Thank you for that background info. And, it, you know, the first thing that comes to mind right away for me is like, wow, it must have been hard. I'm so sorry for the loss of your parents. And oh, thank you. It must have been really hard to go back to doing hospice work 
after their deaths. I mean, I don't know how long it was, but was that challenging yeah. for you? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. And yeah, I mean, there's so much there, right? Uh, so it, uh, like I said, uh, my dad's was sudden. My mom's, uh, they had been divorced for a long time, but lived locally. Uh, and then my mom was diagnosed and then actually passed away on the hospice that I later worked for. So uh, that, yeah, so there was, like I said, I, I took at least six months off, the longest time I've taken off in my career. And like I said, I didn't know if I was going to be moving back to Austin or if I was going to stay in Colorado and then just really did a lot of self work. And I, I knew my passion was for grief and loss. I mean, I was working in it before all of that happened. And so the big thing that I really considered was making sure I had good boundaries and that I was getting the self care and getting the support I needed because most people are good about this, but every once in a while you'd hear about professional in one of those roles and they would talk about all the losses in their life. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's one thing to bond with somebody and, and, but obviously you need to know when, when, when that part needs to, you know, when we need no longer, we're not connecting now I'm taking over the conversation. And so through my work with my counselor at the time and knowing it was my passion, I jumped in and, yeah, it, it took about three months to say for sure if this was right. But I noticed I would go home and I didn't take it home with me. I knew that just for whatever reason, I've always been drawn to that side of things. Well, that's beautiful that you yeah. have been able to do that work for so long and I'm sure yeah. make a difference in many, many people's lives. And I also think that, you know, experience of, you know, when someone you love dies, yeah. It really changes you. The first time it happens. Yeah. It's just it's a unique experience to lose someone yeah. and I think it can really deepen the way that you can connect with people who are going through that same kind of loss. I I couldn't agree with you more. I I often say that uh, because I've had all of my losses doesn't mean that all of a sudden I truly understand what it feels like in your body or your brain or your emotions. Of course I don't. You you have your unique relationship with your loved one and everything, but I at least have a better window in. And so I think that truly has helped me as long as, like I said, I do my own self-care. I can come alongside somebody in a different way than, than maybe somebody who hasn't had those losses. It, it does give you a deeper appreciation for the way that you walk with somebody during that time, for sure. Yeah. And I think the other part for me, this is my own experience, yeah. but when, after I lost my grandmother, when like yeah. around 2004, before that time, I would have been very avoidant about thinking about mm -hmm. losing people I love. Yes. And after it was like, okay, this can happen and it can be okay. You yeah. know, and, and just allowing myself to go somewhere I couldn't have gone before, even though I wasn't a therapist at that time anyway. But I just didn't want to talk about that. I didn't want to think about it. You know, I really wanted to avoid that. Yeah. So it definitely changed the way that I was able to show up with people who were going through grief and loss once I did become a therapist. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But for you, Thad, did you yep. use brain spotting as a client before you got trained in it? I actually didn't. Uh, so... 
I was at hospice with a friend who is also a uh, grief therapist, and she talked about a very close loss that she had had in her family, uh, and which I knew about. And so I was actually just asking her about what have you noticed modality-wise that's been impactful for you professionally or personally, and just trying to grow. Uh, and she had talked about that loss and that it was, again, a very close loss and that the only thing that had made it better and made it livable and workable uh, was brain spotting. And I'll be honest, I literally never heard of it when she brought it up. Mm. And and so I, I asked her about it and she told me about it. And uh, although I'm from Boulder, sometimes I still go, really, that's what that was? Because <laughs> when you hear what brain spotting is, most people show up and they're ready to do it. But some people have that skeptical look as they should, or this is what we're doing. I thought this was psychology, and it is. So anyway, uh, she told me about it, and that, and I did very limited research on purpose because uh, I kind of wanted to go in as a blank slate and just notice what I noticed, and that's that's what I did. I went to a three-day phase one training in Boulder uh, with Dr. Pai Fry. You know, I'll be honest, was a little bit skeptical walking in, and after day one of it, wasn't uh, just because. We got to learn about some of the neuro, uh, neurology, some of the background. Uh, we got to watch Pi work with another therapist as a client. And then we broke out uh, in, in pairs uh, and, and would be the therapist for about an hour and the client for about an hour. And so I was, I was hooked afterwards because I'd never had an experience like that in therapy. So, yeah, well, I am really, I am so intrigued by brain spotting and this isn't my yeah. first time talking about it right. here but i still feel it seems still mysterious to me sure so let's just talk about how so you mainly do grief grief and loss in your practice now right i do i know i i have a lot of grief and loss but i also work with anxiety and depression and and different things like that so but like i said some of the latest stuff I've been doing is trying to work with artists, musicians, and athletes. And and Boulder is a world-class area for uh, people who love to be like ultra marathon runners and whatnot. And so working with them towards performance has been great because it's just a different different way of working with people. But yeah, so it, it kind of runs the, runs the gamut. But I would say a good third of the people that I work with uh, at this point uh, would be grief and loss. And definitely, like I said, it's where my heart is. And, and I think it will always be a large part, if not the majority of, of what I do. Yeah. So it sounds like brain spotting really kind of applies to, I don't know, I don't want to say any sure. issue that a client brings, but what can you tell me about it? Yeah. Yeah. But it really is a what I like about it and what I learned in phase one and gets reemphasized in any class that I've ever taken or been a part of is that if you're going to work with trauma or you're going to work with, um, you know, specific anxiety or phobias that you really should be a, an expert in that field. Like, you know, if you're niching down to do that, then you shouldn't just rely on purely brain spotting to get you there because you want to be able to do the work beforehand. Uh, you want to do the work afterwards to help them with grounding. There's stuff you can do brain spotting as well, but it's great because they, they talk about, 
that this is not trying to block out any other modalities. It's to come along and be a companion uh, with other modalities. So often, you know, uh, it's different for everybody, but usually I only had it once or twice where I've utilized brain spotting in the first session. I almost always bare minimum wait two to three sessions just so we can build rapport and safety uh, so that somebody can go in and do that deep neurological work. So yeah, so that's the kind of the way that I practice. But yeah, I've been able to uh, work with a lot of different people going through different things in their lives and feel like I'm doing a good job because they'll walk out of most sessions, not every session, but feeling a lightness in their body, uh, feeling like they don't need to avoid something or they can let go of guilt. And again, sometimes we're working on deep uh, historic trauma or uh, things like that. And so, of course, it's going to take a bunch of sessions. I would say certain things uh, can be worked on in one session and and be done. But other things, of course, we're going to have to do the work. It's not a a fast forward button by any means. Yeah, that's Thank you for explaining that. And that's kind of one of the, I think for me, there's some kind of fear about whether, and I think, I guess this is true with any method or technique Mm -hmm. that I feel so protective about working with complex trauma. And it's like, you, if you don't know what, what you don't know, if you don't know what you're seeing happening for the person, you might think that they're doing fine and then they could totally be decompensating Totally. A day yep. or two later, and you have no idea why. Yes. Um, though I'm not saying that that would be the case with brain spotting. I just wonder how do you how do you deal with that that concern when you have because I think so many people don't come in and say I have trauma. They might say I have I have a fear of public speaking, and then yeah. but it turns out that it relates to some traumatic event or some deep attachment injury that they had. I think it's, I'm a uh, cautious person by nature. So I think this is a perfect, perfect question for me. And and of course, other brain spotters might come at it differently, but we have uh, multiple ways of accessing held trauma in the brain and body. And and two, the two different big ones are the activation model and the resource model. So uh, basically that being said, I usually start with something that is not a 10 out of 10 when it comes to that feeling in their body when they think about such and such trauma. So like you said, maybe they come in for public speaking. So we work with that issue and I'll resource them a lot as we start the process and during the process. And so we'll find a resource eye eye position. We'll find a resource body uh, position. We might even in phase two, we learn about uh, these, we wear these uh, goggles that block out one eye or the other eye. So then sometimes people will be thinking about an issue and noticing that feeling of uh, anxiety in their stomach, and they might subjectively say that's an eight out of 10. And I'll just have them look wherever they want to look. We're not finding necessarily a brain spot, but look wherever they want to in the room, cover one eye for about 10 seconds, and then just notice what they notice, then cover the other eye for about 10 seconds, notice what they notice. And easily half the time, if not more than that, somebody goes, huh, I feel a little bit better when I was covering my left eye. So then I'll give them the goggles that cover that left eye and we find a brain spot based on that. But also instead of going from that feeling of eight out of 10 in their stomach, I'll ask them to say, 
is there anywhere that's neutral in your body? I won't use the word safe because I think safe is a very loaded question, especially mm-hmm. as you know, uh, for people with trauma. So I might say, you know, is there somewhere that feels neutral? And sometimes people can find that. They do a quick like body scan, like we might do in mindfulness and meditation, but sometimes they can't. And so I'll say, well, sometimes people will say their kneecaps or the end of their nose or end of their ears. People usually tend to be able to resonate with that. And so instead of using their stomach kind of as their body anchor into uh, being able to access the, the held trauma in their brain, they use it from a more positive side. So like I said, it might be their legs feel strong because they're runners. Uh, and so that they, they, they are putting their thoughts and uh, noticing that body sensation from their legs and we process there. So that's where usually where I start just because I want them to be in the window of tolerance. I don't want to, as you were talking about, make it, you know, two, three days later, they are feeling disassociated or going back to maladaptive coping because of something that we did. I definitely want to let them know they can do this work. And as we build rapport and as we, you know, access different things, then people are usually willing to go to that deeper work. And I definitely have have had plenty of examples where somebody starts on one thing and then, you know, we've all had this experience, but they'll say, I haven't shared this with with anybody. And you feel honored that they're willing to talk about it and then to brain spot around it. And then to, then with, if they find any relief or sometimes a lot of relief, it's 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 great. It really is great. Therapists, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh, my gosh. Did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend therapy notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. So let me ask you a quick question to clarify. So when you were saying the neutral spot and then Mm -hmm. the strong legs, is the strong legs a neutral spot or is that a resource spot? It's uh, and I should say basically a resource spot is neutral. So they're they're oh, one okay. and the same. Yep. Yep. So activation oh. spot would have been that feeling in their stomach where they felt like uh, maybe I could even throw up. Right. So that would be mm-hmm. if we were trying to go really go at it, then that would be our activation spot. So we'd be kind of having them anchor themselves in that, noticing whatever they notice and, and go where that goes. Uh, instead, they're obviously holding that because they, 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 it's their stomach and they notice it. But I also have them go to a neutral area in their body so that when they're thinking about that, you know, going up there and doing public speaking and I get wobbly in the legs sometimes, but right now they feel they feel strong or they feel neutral. And that's more of working from from that that angle rather than the activation. 
Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, of course. So is it possible in your example with the public speaking, and then they say later, I've never told anyone this. Yeah. Is it possible that what they were able to access when they got the fear of public speaking kind of to have less charge, it's like it opened something up to allow them to access it? For sure. I mean, I think, you know, like you said, I think it can come in, well, probably a lot of different directions, but two of them would be that they feel more comfortable with you. They feel comfortable with the situation, so they're willing to share it. But the other part is that with doing this work, I mean, we're working with the, the, the limbic part of our brain, so the amygdala, the hippocampus. And so you have all these memories that have been stored that we're not accessing. And so people will sometimes have these memories of being five years old and being scolded for, for talking or remembering what it was like to forget their lines when they were the wizard in the Wizard of Oz or whatnot. And I've had those direct experiences where they have a, a concrete memory and then they notice how that made them feel. And so then when they were able to move that through and uh, people have a lot of somatic cues, so they might feel stuff in their body quite often while they're doing this. Then they feel like, okay, I was able to do that and maybe now I can do that public speaking and the anxiety is not as big. So then they're, they're more willing to say, I'm willing to access this. And then there's also when they're doing something related to public speaking, sometimes they are in tune with either memories or body sensations that remind them or jogs memories or brings up for them that, yeah, there was an abuse history or neglect history. And so they're willing to look at it differently. And again, all it needs to be in the framework of having a safe place to be able to do the work. But yes, yes, I've had definitely had that too. Well, you just made me think of something that really is relevant to my clients, mm. probably about half of my clients, if not more, have very little memory of Childhood. So they have like blocked off places, you know, Yes. things that they just can't get to. So is someone who I would say this is like for half of my clients, this is common. I don't really remember my childhood. So it's not just like I don't remember certain years or anything. It's just like "Mm, I don't really have any memories. Would that be an indication that someone is a good candidate for brain spotting or not? Or is it just neutral? Yeah, definitely. If you could see me, I'd be shaking my head in affirmation for sure. Um, so that that idea that if, if somebody, we know that the hippocampus can actually be smaller in people that especially went through early developmental trauma. So that makes sense that they wouldn't have those uh, memories about what was going on. And so it's not just purely, you know, some way to protect ourselves saying, I'm not going to remember that. I'm not going to go back to that. Sometimes it's a physical response. So yeah, if I have people that are have that, as we talked about in early attachment stuff. So the first three years of your life, you might never have a concrete memory. We'll do this work and it might be purely somatic. And so I don't, I don't as a therapist and, and I've been a client in doing brain spotting. I don't care if I don't have an associated memory or whatnot. If I notice that all of a sudden my 
arms. I mean, this happens all the time that somebody's arms or legs will feel numb for a while Mm -hmm. or they'll feel like they're on fire or they'll feel uh, like they have a weighted blanket on and things feel good. So I know that it's processing through their body and, and, and releasing. And so oftentimes people can, like I said, if they, they start at a 10 out of 10 on some, you know, memory or basic uh, feeling around something and we end at a three, well, that's a huge, huge deal. So for sure that, that, that happens. So that person would be a great candidate if they said they were blocking. The other thing I should say is I've definitely had plenty of clients understandably saying it feels like there's a wall there. I don't know if I want to go through that wall. And so kind of going into that memory and this might be 30 minutes into processing and some people are very quiet, don't talk at all during their processing. Others talk the whole time like it's a normal uh, therapy session. So but Hmm. when they come back, yeah. So when they come back and they'll say things like, I don't know if I can do that. The nice part about brain spotting, too, is I'm not directing them. I'm not telling them what to do. I'm there in attunement with them. I'm allowing space for them. I'm there to affirm. But I'm never saying, yep, go towards the wall or don't, or I'm letting them do whatever makes sense for them. And I've had it where some people, I'm thinking of two examples where one person in that session allowed themselves to see what was behind that. And then I've had other people where, we go back and, and stop there and do another and, and resource them, but then do a whole another session around that if they want to. So I really, that's the beauty is that we follow the client. It is not a therapist led besides setting up the frame, getting it working, and then allowing them to do whatever they need to do. Okay. And maybe being able to see what's happening yes. and, and, you know, yes. help resource if needed. You got it. You got it. And there's different ways to resource people if you feel like they're kind of getting out outside the window of tolerance. Like I said, if I have, I I usually break it down in thirds. About a third of the people that I work with might not talk the entire time. About a third will not talk much, but they might say that that feeling in my stomach has moved to my chest or to my back. It feels positive. It it feels horrible. It feels like, you know, and, and then they'll go right back into kind of processing and being quiet and just looking at the brain spot. And then about a third, like I said, we'll, we'll talk almost the whole time. They'll, they'll be looking at the, uh, the brain spot, but they'll be chatting with me about it and saying, that's, that's strange. I feel like I'm, I know this is where I started, but I can smell uh, the cookies. I'm at my grandmother's house in this memory. And then other people will have very faint memories of brown stuff. So the people that are totally silent, I check in with them from time to time and say, what do you notice in your body right now? And that's, very purposeful for a couple of reasons. And I tell people that I will do this. So it's Mm -hmm. not uh, something out of the blue is I'm not trying to knock them back into their prefrontal cortex and have to think about it. So I wouldn't say if they might have said something like, you know, I feel guilty because I didn't I wasn't there when my mom died. I'm not going to go into CBT and say, well, what would you say to a friend that would say that to you? You've been such a wonderful uh, child, you know, uh, because then they have to think about it. They have to bring themselves out of it. With this, I'm just saying, check in with me. I'm here. And what are you noticing in your body right now? And, and I get a lot from that because sometimes I might think, my gosh, I haven't heard from them in a while. And they started in eight out of 10 in their chest. And, and I had this 
I, actually this morning where somebody talked about now I just feel calm. I just feel I feel good. And so then I let them process and continue on from there. So. So, yeah, there's a lot of different ways to do this. It's so interesting. Yeah. OK, so here is my ultimate question. This is right. this is where I get stuck. I probably need to brain spot this. <laughs> when someone says I feel calm, yeah. I'm so uh, curious because of working with people who have trauma who yeah. oftentimes haven't really felt what it feels like to feel regulated. Sure. Yes. And then you might know where I'm going, but it's like right. how can you and they tell if it's calm or like shut down, like hyper aroused. Right. Right. Or just, dis- yeah, dysregulated yeah. or, yep, 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 yep. Uh, that's a good question. Calm I mean, I, right, exactly. And, and the short answer is not necessarily, I don't always know, right? And that's why I'm a big fan of getting to know the client uh, for a number of sessions, getting a good background history. And so that I know who I'm in the room with, they know who they're in the room with. And again, sometimes they haven't shared these trauma histories or they, uh, you know, didn't even fully recognize some of them. They may not know, especially for someone who doesn't have memory. Exactly. Exactly. So I would say in those kind of situations that I would do my best, obviously, to leave enough time at the end of a session. I always try to do that that we wrap up that portion, that processing portion, and then have time to do grounding, do mindfulness, talk about what they're going to do in the week between it. Um, I often, especially on a first session with somebody in brain spotting, um, I will say, if you need to give me a call, either, you know, uh, the next day or an email, feel free to let's reach out, let's touch base. And about, you know, two or three people uh, will do that. And I, I mean it when I offer that because mm-hmm. I, this is such a different experience than talk therapy can be. And so I just want to allow that space. But as you said, I think that would come with having them come in the next time, talk about what showed up. Uh, I, I would say even that right after we got done processing, what did they notice? What What is that feeling in their body? What were they thinking about or where were, where were their memories going? Because that could be a telltale sign. Obviously, if they're thinking about some trauma history that showed up around uh, their parents and then they're feeling calm, well, that's a different story, right, than, than them being with some other memory that's allowing them to feel a weight off of their a weight off of their uh, chest where they feel like they can breathe. And, you know, so listening to descriptors in different ways, if they feel like you said, I, I talked to them about numbness, that feels different to me than feeling like, oh, my gosh, I've been 10 years since I felt, felt like I could take a full breath. So mm-hmm. just looking to the intricacies of their language, like we would do in anything. So, yeah, it's a great question, though. And, and that's why I'll go back to that idea that if you utilize this with mo- this modality with people, then then you should have your background in different people that you're working with and different different uh, things that you want to do. So I would never again say you can't just use this as a standalone. You need to be a, a trauma informed therapist, which is great because there's a lot of us out there nowadays. Yeah. And I mean, on my soapbox for a second that I Please. feel like we all need to know how to recognize trauma and really understand, even if we don't quote unquote want to work with trauma, we have to sure. know 
that majority of people who come through our doors have experienced some kind of trauma or attachment injury. And if we try to ignore that, we're just, you know, kind of doing a disservice to totally we could be doing yeah we could be doing harm so i'll I'll join you on the soapbox and and say one of the best things or things that i love doing is building community in the private practice world and if you would have talked to me five years ago i wouldn't have said that uh, in the sense of that uh, i'm no wallflower but i'm definitely not an extrovert and Mm so I've known that, yep, I'm really good at working with people going through these issues, but I want to know people that are great at working with children, right? And that's Mm -hmm. not something that I do. And then getting more specific and more specific. And so building that network, which is great because I get to meet a lot of great people. But I also you can say good at everything. Exactly. And and I know I'm referring to them to somebody who's trained up in that. And that that's great. It's reciprocal and you're getting the client to the right person. So that definitely happens where I'll work with somebody and we might hit an area and and I'll say I I have three people that might be wonderful to work with. And and I have that, too, where uh, I have some therapists uh, in the local community that uh, that no brain spotting personally uh, or uh, thought about getting trained in it, but haven't yet. And so they might be working with somebody around grief and loss and a lot around suicide, loss of a loved one through completion of suicide. And so I've had a, a handful of times where somebody will send them to me. And we'll meet for five to eight sessions, and then they'll go back to working with that other person that they have that uh, ongoing rapport with. So, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think, you know, I've heard more and more how brain spotting can be a great adjunct to, you know, the therapy you're already doing with your ongoing therapist who you've been working with for a long time. But maybe there's just one thing you just haven't been able to get. Yes. To or move through yet, and you're thinking you need another way. So I love it. I'm going to add to that too, is I love what you said, because, you know, we get to work with that unconscious mind and we get to allow somebody the safety and space to go in and do that deep work that I can't do with language alone. And so that's what makes this one unique. But I mean, you have obviously EMDR, somatic experiencing, uh, there's so many good things out there. And, and of course, brain spotting is my passion, but I love that we are learning so much more about the brain and, and, and doing, uh, doing different modalities that help us access that for people and, and do this deep healing for sure. Yeah, I love it, too. And I'm so grateful that you were able to take the time to talk with us today, Thad. Yeah, this this was awesome. Again, I'm I'm uh, my my eighth grade version of myself. uh, Say I'm I'm psyched to be here. So I I really (laughs) I really, really appreciate it. Love it. So, (laughs) Thad, I know you're involved. You have um, you're part of a group practice, but you also are involved with some other things with brain spotting. So um, what do you want to tell people who are listening about where to find you, what else you do and all that stuff? That would be great. That'd be great. So 
Uh, to find me, you can find me and more information on brain spotting and, and the work that I do at fadfrycounseling.com. So again, T-H-A-D-F-R-Y-E, uh, counseling.com. Uh, and then I am proud board member of a local nonprofit uh, here in town. It's called RMBI. It's Rocky Mountain Brain Spotting Institute. It was started by, again, Dr. Pi Fry. Uh, she's wonderful. She's the lead trainer outside of David Grant's the one who came up with uh, brain spotting, but she's been a lead trainer and she's truly one of the warmest, funniest uh, people you'd know. Uh, and she started a long time ago and there's been a lot of local people that have joined the board throughout the years. But the basic uh, gist of what we do is to try to build community run among brain spotters uh, to get the word out and, and tell people about it. But the other part that's probably the most important is that we uh, tried to do fundraising throughout the year uh, to be able to get money for scholarships for people that have gone, who've uh, had trauma in their lives uh, to get them 10 sessions uh, for working with a uh, certified brain spotting practitioner locally. And so it's usually folks that uh, can't, uh, aren't appropriate uh, to be on Medicaid, but maybe make too much money, uh, but don't make enough to have insurance. So we want to help, you know, help that a little bit. Uh, and that's been the passion of uh, Pi and the rest of the board is to raise awareness and raise funds to help people out. So thanks for asking. That's big. Yeah. And so if anybody who's listening is in, I guess, is it in Boulder or is it in Colorado? Yep. Yep. Wants so to access exa- that, where would they go? Exactly. They would go to uh, Rocky Mountain Brain Spotting Institute.org. You can just put in RMBI uh, and you'll find it uh, out of Google. But yeah, Rocky Mountain Brain Spotting.org. And that, that would be awesome. Uh, and we also have a directory there as well. That's one of the ways that we raise funds are that we have a lot of local and sometimes out of state brain spotting uh, clinicians that you can look up and, and find, know that you're. If you want a brain spotting practitioner, you know you're going to find one there at our directory. So that's another. And we also have articles, uh, also have research. Uh, we have some podcast episodes, and I think we're going to add one more uh, after this. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so so we do, we're trying to be one of the central hubs. Now there's a handful of different institutions uh, throughout the country, but uh, Pi was the one who started this one, and it was the original one, and we've been lucky enough to have it be uh, growing a lot, especially in the last couple of years. Brain spotting has really kind of exploded, which which I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to doing training in it myself that I have not registered for, but I do intend awesome. to do. That'd be great. I think you you really sold me now that you answered cool. my burning <laughs> deep question about it. Thank so you. thank you, Dad. <laughs> thank you. Thanks so much for listening to my interview with Thad Fry. I just really loved how he talked about his work. I think that he's a very interesting person to talk with, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I'd love to hear what you think. If you have any feedback about this episode or about this podcast in general, feel free to get in touch with me using the link on therapychatpodcast.com. You can go to where it says, leave a message with SpeakPipe and click on that, and I get to receive a message from you with your own voice, which I just love. I love hearing those. Sometimes I respond back in my own voice when I can. So until next time, thanks so much as always for listening to Therapy Chat. We would not be here without all of you and your support. Take care.
Just another reminder that if you'd like to become a member of Therapy Chat, supporting the podcast while receiving fun member perks and being able to communicate with me one-on-one, go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. If every subscriber donated just $1 per month, Therapy Chat would be able to keep going strong indefinitely. Thanks so much for your support. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today.